Uh, well, good day. My name's Ben. I'm one of the pastors here at St. Matt's. Uh, it's great to be with you as we open God's Word together. Uh, we're now in our second week of a summer, summer sermon series in the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, so if you've got a Bible or Bible app in front of you that's got that passage in First Thessalonians 2 that was just read out for us, uh, feel free to open that up and we'll have a look at it together. Let's pray for God's help as we do. We thank you, Lord, for giving us your word, the Bible, so that we can know you and so that we can know Jesus and what he has done for us. Uh, Please, Lord, uh, would you open and soften our hearts so that we're ready to um, receive and understand and put into practice and be shaped by, in every way, what you have to say to us through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's an interesting time to be a Christian in Australia at the moment. On the one hand, our culture is becoming more and more hostile to Christians. We're not facing outright persecution like Christians in China and so many other places around the world are today. But here in Australia, Christianity is becoming less and less popular. And it seems likely that opposition is only on the increase. So on the one hand, there's growing hostility. But on the other hand, there's also a growing openness to the gospel as well. I don't want to overstate the case. It's not like people are, there's a flood of people just coming to bang down the church doors and ask how they can be saved. But there are real signs that people are more open than they used to be. I've heard from multiple people who work on university campuses around Australia, for example, that 2018, this year just gone, was the best year for evangelism that they've seen in a long time. They're seeing people more open to hear about Jesus and they're seeing more people become Christians. So it's an interesting time to be a Christian in Australia. Increasing hostility on the one hand, but signs of increasing openness as well. And if all this is true, then we're confronted with a big question. Are we ready? Because if it's true that in God's providence the tide is turning and people are becoming more open to the gospel, the question for us is, are we ready to share it with them? As we head into 2019, are we prepared to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? And today we're looking at 1 Thessalonians, which is a letter written by an early church leader named Paul to a group of Christians living in the ancient Greek city of Thessalonica, which you can see on the map there in red up the top there. It's in modern-day Greece. Now, Thessalonica back then was an important city, the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. And in about 49 AD, so 15, 17 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul came to visit this city. The book of Acts... uh, accounts the story of how he uh, began to share the gospel and a few people received it uh, and a young church was born and in some ways the Christians in Thessalonica are in a similar situation to us. We learn for example in this letter uh, that they were facing opposition but at the same time God was using them for the spread of the gospel So, uh, for example, check out 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6. This is from last week. It says, uh, this is what Paul writes to them. He reminds them, You became imitators of us, the apostles, and of the Lord, Jesus. 
in spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message of the gospel with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So they accepted the gospel, in spite of suffering, they had joy. So we can see there that we're facing suffering, the opposition, can't we? But look at the very next verses, reading on from verse 7. And so, through your joy and suffering, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. It's remarkable. Here's that map of Thessalonica again. And Paul is saying that the Lord's message, the gospel, rang out from them like a, like a bell, like a gong. It spread from them, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, the surrounding regions right around them, but beyond that, it spread everywhere. So these Christians were facing hostility on the one hand, yet God was using them for the spread of the gospel. So friends, I wonder as we look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to them in 1 Thessalonians 2, what might we learn about living as followers of Jesus in our cultural moment today? About how we might navigate opposition while being ready to be used by God for the spread of the gospel? Well, that's what we're going to look at together. Uh, this passage gives us four things that we'll need, we'll need to help us be ready. We'll need right motives, real love, we'll need deep trust, and we'll need a willingness to suffer. So firstly, right motives. Uh, have a look in your Bibles with me at 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. So here we see that Paul is reminding him, the Thessalonians of when he first came to share the gospel with them, when the church was born. And as we saw in chapter 1, he's, he's wanting them to imitate his way of life. So what we're about to read is him recounting his way of life and his behaviour among them to try and encourage them as young Christians about how they should live. So let's read on from verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Now you can see in these verses that Paul is drawing attention to his motives. He didn't share the gospel out of impure motives to get something out of it for himself. He didn't resort to flattery to just tell them what they want to hear. No, he says in, in verse 4 that his motive, his goal, was not to please people, but to please God. And this is so important for us to grasp today. Because as hostility towards Christianity in our culture increases, the danger for us is that out of a desire to win people's approval, we go soft on the gospel. 
We go soft on God's word. There are bits in the Bible that are unpopular. So let's get rid of those. You know what the Bible says about Jesus being the only way to God, that you can only be saved through him? Well, that's narrow. What the Bible says about marriage, gender, sexuality? Well, that's just going to put people off. So let's get rid of those things and let's just focus on what the Bible says about love. That'll be much more attractive to people. That's what people want to hear. You know, just a few weeks ago, I was chatting to a pastor of a church, uh, not from WA, from another state, and we were talking about what the Bible says about the different roles of men and women in the family and the church. And his comment was this, well, look, I can kind of see that the Bible says the roles of men and women are different, but I just feel like that's not going to be good for our witness. It puts people off. If we want to see people come to know Jesus, I just don't think that's a helpful thing to teach. Now, he's a lovely guy, and I know he means well, but can you see why his approach is deeply problematic? The problem is that we can't just take parts out of the Bible because they're not popular. Even if we think it'll make the gospel more attractive. The problem is that if we do that, we're seeking to please people and win their approval rather than seeking to please God who has entrusted us with his gospel, who has entrusted us with his, his word. The whole thing, even the unpopular bits. In 1 Thessalonians 2.4, Paul says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. God has entrusted it to us. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And friends, that means that we've got to stick firmly to what God has told us in his word. What the Bible says on marriage, on gender, what the Bible says about Jesus being the only way to salvation. People will tell you that's narrow, but because our motive is to please God, we hold firmly to what he's told us in the Bible. Now, this might seem counterintuitive. You know, we're looking at how we might be used by God to spread the gospel and to, to reach out to more people. So surely if we want to reach people with the gospel, well, if, we're not cared about, if we don't care about their approval, well, aren't we just going to become irrelevant? Aren't we just going to fade off into obscurity and have, and have no one come to know Christ? If we're just focusing on what God wants and not what people around us in the culture want? Well, no, not at all. And, and history bears this out. I mean, if you just take the last 50 years, for example, if you look at the churches in our culture that have capitulated to the culture on these issues, on sexuality, gender, roles of men and women, so many others, if you look at the churches that have given in on these issues, those are the churches that are declining. But you look at the churches that are standing firm and sticking to what the Bible says and preaching the exclusivity of Christ as the only way to be saved. Well, those are the churches that are going strong. And you can see the difference between those two groups of churches. You can see that even within our own diocese. Because God works through the faithful teaching of his word, even when it's not popular. So, brothers and sisters, that's our first point. 
if we want to be ready to be used by God for the spread of his gospel, we need to have right motives, motivated by a desire to win God's approval and to please him rather than people. Secondly, we need to have a real love. Have a look in your Bibles with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. You see, Paul had a real love for the Thessalonians. And that love led him to share not only the gospel, but his life with them as well. He wasn't a traveling salesman who just kind of parachuted in, uh, you know, flung up some gospel pamphlets and then got out of there as soon as he could. No, he opened up his life to them. Uh, Some of you may have heard of Rosaria Butterfield, uh, who has written an amazing book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Uh, She's now a Christian, Uh, But 20 years ago, that, that was not the case. And when she says that she was an unlikely convert, she really means it. She was an LGBT activist. She was a queer studies professor at a major university. She was living an active lesbian lifestyle. And she hated Christians. But one day, she came into contact with a local Christian couple named Ken and Floy. He sent her a letter in response to something that she'd uh, written and had published, and they started talking, and then he invited her over for dinner. Now, normally she'd never accept an invitation to dinner from uh, a a Christian like that, Uh, but it just so happened that at that time, she was writing an academic paper on the religious right and how harmful they are. And so she thought, well, uh, I'll accept this dinner, dinner invitation. This will be helpful for my research. I kind of, you know, examine Christians in their natural habitat, as it were. Uh, So she, uh, as she went to their house, uh, she was willing to go, but she recalls that even as she walked up to the front door, she was anxious. She was kind of tense. She was on her, her guard was up. Because she knew, even as she went to their home, she knew that Christians were so narrow and hateful and certainly not approving of her lifestyle choices. So she was just bracing for the way these people were going to treat her. But over the course of the evening, she found herself surprised. These Christians weren't hateful. They didn't preach at her. They didn't force their religion down her throat. They listened. They asked questions. They got to know her. They seemed caring. They wanted to get to know her as a person. And yes, they talked about their faith, just like she talked about her beliefs. But they weren't, it was completely different to what she was expecting. She keeps saying again, if you listen to the audio book or, or read the book itself, she says, I just couldn't, they didn't fit the box and the categories that I had of what Christians were supposed to be. Let me quote from a book as she now describes it looking back. Ken and Floyd, that's the name of this couple, Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history but has been functionally lost in too many Christian homes. Ken and Floyd invited the stranger in, not to scapegoat me, uh, but to listen and to learn and to dialogue. Uh, Ken and Floyd had a vulnerable uh, and, and transparent faith. We didn't debate worldview, but we did talk about our different viewpoints and what made us tick. 
They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. Before I ever set foot in a church, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd and on and off studying scripture and my heart. If Ken and Floyd had invited me to church at that first meal, I would have run a mile and never come back. But over those next two years, because of their gentle, patient, opening up and sharing of their lives and the gospel with her, in God's mercy, she eventually came to repent and put her trust in Jesus. Her her story is a, a powerful testimony to the way that God can use simple Christian hospitality. Of this couple living out 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, seeking to share not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And so it's worth us thinking about as we head into 2019, what, how might we do a similar thing? How might we seek to share not only the gospel, but also our lives with those around us? It could be like this couple, uh, opening up our homes to welcome people in, intentionally reaching out to those who aren't like us in love. It could be uh, seeking to, to learn to ask good questions that go beyond the superficial. Perhaps we've already got people who are, we're inviting into our lives. But, but striving to be someone who, who asks good questions and is safe and who listens and who cares. It could be learning to be more transparent about our faith as we go about our friendships with those who don't yet know Jesus. I certainly know that's a big area where I could grow in this coming year. It might look a little different for each of us. But if we're willing to invite someone into our life and love them as we share the gospel with them, who knows what God might be willing to do through that? How many people like Rosaria Butterfield who on the outside seem like the least likely people who would ever consider Jesus? Who years down the line might have a testimony similar to hers? And who might be pointing to you as the one who played such a key role in them coming to faith? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Now, you know, uh, talking about hospitality and opening up our lives, it it sounds very rosy and beautiful, uh, but as many as you will know, in reality, it's actually very difficult because people are difficult. Uh, People's lives are messy, including our own, including my own. And we open up our lives to others. It's costly in our time, in our energy. So it's not some, some rosy, picturesque, beautiful thing. It has a cost. But the reason we do it is because that is what Jesus has done for us. That Jesus shared his life with us. I mean, this is what we celebrated just a few weeks ago at Christmas, isn't it? Uh, Jesus is God made flesh. God come to live among us as a frail human being. To share in the mess of human life. And Jesus didn't just share his life with us. He gave his life for us. He he willingly went to the cross to die for our sins so that if we trust him, we can be saved. There is nothing more costly than what Jesus did 
for us on the cross. And he did it because of his love for us. That is the gospel that our world so desperately needs to hear. And friends, when we see Jesus doing that for us, when we see Jesus giving his life for us, that is what motivates us to share our lives with others so that they might know him too. So that they might put their trust in him and be saved. So as we head into 2019, it's worth asking, what might it look like for you to share not only the gospel of God, but your life with others? Is there even one or two people that God brings to mind who you might start praying for, that God might place in your heart a real love for them, who you might be able to invite into your life in a more intentional way this year? so that you might help them come to know Jesus. Well, that's our second point. If we want to be used by God in the spread of the gospel, uh, we need our right motives, living to please God and not people, a real love, seeking to invite others in and love them. And thirdly, we're going to need a deep trust. Specifically, if we want to be used by God in the spread of his gospel, we need a deep trust in God's word. Have a look in your Bibles with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. Now, Paul is making a critical distinction. He's saying that the gospel, the news about Jesus, is not a human word. It's not a message made up by people. It's a word from God. And because it's God's word, we can trust that God is the one who is at work through his word. As I mentioned earlier, I've been hearing from many people who are involved in ministries all over Australia who are saying that they're starting to see more fruit. They're seeing a growing openness to the gospel and more people becoming Christians. And those same people are quick to point out that it's not because they've changed their method. It's not because last year uh, they had some clever human planning and they've come up with this new strategy and that's why they're seeing more fruit. No, they're doing the same thing they always did. They're sharing the gospel. They're sharing their lives. They're praying for people. They're doing those same things. Yet without any change in human strategy, God is at work by his word through his Holy Spirit to change people's hearts. So friends, if we want to be part of what God is doing for the spread of his gospel... We need to have a deep trust in God's word so that we don't rely on human methods of persuasion, so that we don't resort to flattery or just telling people what they want to hear, like Paul warned us against earlier in this passage. We need to trust that as we walk alongside people and share God's word with them, that it's ultimately God who does the work. And that's a great 
comfort if you're anything like me, because that means it ultimately doesn't depend upon my cleverness, upon my proficiency at sharing the gospel, upon the perfection of my life, because it's certainly not perfect. It's God who does his work through his word, through weak instruments like us. And that's a great comfort. Okay, right motives, real love, a deep trust. And fourthly, we need a willingness to suffer for the gospel. Have a look in your Bibles with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Let's look at it together. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches in Judea suffered from the Jews, who also killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. Now again, Paul is reminding them, isn't he, of of things that have happened, but they don't need reminding that they're suffering for the gospel. I mean, these people are being persecuted for their faith. They're going to be pretty aware of that, aren't they? Paul's not reminding them that they're suffering. He's helping them put their suffering into context. Have a look. What's he saying in those verses? He's saying, in your suffering, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea, these churches in another place, those Christians who have gone before you, and you suffered from your own people the same things that they suffered, the same thing that we and the prophets before us suffered, and the same thing that Jesus himself suffered. He's helping them put their suffering into context and saying, this isn't strange. You are experiencing the same thing Jesus and all those who followed him since then have experienced. Now, of all four points, this is perhaps most difficult for us to hear. Because as we navigate a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity, being used by God for the spread of his gospel in the coming years, make no mistake, being used by God for the spread of his gospel will require that we are willing to suffer and that we are willing to suffer well for the sake of Christ. Next week, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 3. And in verses 2 to 4 of that passage, you can have a look if you like. Uh, Paul writes this to them. He says, We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. He's trying to encourage them. You know quite well that we were destined for them, these trials. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. What's he saying? He's saying, Christian, don't be surprised when you are opposed for following Jesus. This is what we kept telling you people. It's a, it's a normal part. It's a package deal. As Philippians 1.29 says, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his name. It's a package deal. And this is exactly what Jesus warned us about in John 15. He said to his disciples, verses 20 to 21, he said, if they persecuted me, which they did, they killed him on a cross. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of me, for they do not know the one who sent me. 
being a Christian in Australia in the coming years is likely to get a lot harder. Whether it's in our schools, on our university campuses, in our jobs, in all different spheres of life. So it is going to become all the more important that we fix our eyes on Jesus, our suffering saviour. Because it's only when we see Jesus suffering for us and all that he went through. And it's only when we see Jesus raised from the dead in glory and the eternal inheritance that he has waiting for him, for all those who trust in Jesus, what we look forward to with him, it's only as we see that, that's what's going to enable us to endure suffering for the sake of the gospel and to endure it with joy. Because we know that we're sharing in what Christ himself has gone through and we know that nothing people do can take away what Christ gives to us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10-12, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. So brothers and sisters, even as our culture turns against Christianity, we don't lose heart. We don't give in to the temptation to fight back, to repay insult with insult, hostility with hostility. No, We fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We fix our eyes on Jesus, who forgave those who persecuted him. And we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God in glory, where our inheritance with him is waiting for us. It's an interesting time to be a Christian in Australia. A time of growing hostility, of growing openness to the gospel as well. And friends, if we want to be part of what God is doing for the spread of his gospel, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives us great help and great encouragement so that we can be ready. So as we head into 2019, let's make that our prayer and our ambition that God might give us right motives, that we might seek to please him and win his approval instead of the people around us, that we might have a real love for others and a desire to share not only our lives but the gospel of God with them, that he might give us a deep trust in his word as the power for salvation and that he might give us a willingness to suffer joyfully for the sake of Christ. Because if we have those things, who knows how God might be pleased to use us for the spread of his gospel in Perth and beyond in 2019 and for the years ahead. Would you join me now and let's pray together that God would do exactly that in each of our hearts. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have given us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he came to become a human being like one of us, to to share in our mess, to live as one of us and die as one of us, so that through his death and resurrection, we too might be raised from the dead to everlasting life. Thank you for all that you've given us in the Lord Jesus. And Father, as we live in a culture that is rapidly changing, that is turning more and more hostile to you and to your people, would you give us strength by your Holy Spirit to live lives that honour you, to live lives that are salt and light to those around us? Lord, would you change our hearts by the gospel? Would you ever and each day put Jesus in front of us, that our whole mindset and lives and priorities would be shaped by who he is and what he has done for us? that you would enable us to fix our eyes on what is unseen and eternal so that this brief life, that we would spend it in the right way in light of eternity. Lord, would you do that in each of our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we might know you and love you more deeply and so that more and more people around us, our friends, our families, our colleagues, our co-workers, might come to know the Lord Jesus too and they might find the life and the joy that is to be found in him alone. And we pray this in his powerful name. Amen.